Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Nehemiah's own words in chapter 6, verse 15. You can peek there if you like. He said, God has sent me to do a great work for the kingdom. It was a monumental work that no amount of money would be good enough. Remember I told you the book of Nehemiah is a great storybook with many great lessons. The book divides itself nicely into two sections. If you haven't been with us, You might want to write this down, chapters 1 through 6, very easy. We're talking about the reconstructing of the walls. And last week we completed chapter 6. And now in chapter 7 through the rest of the book, chapter 13, we're talking about the reconstructing of the people. So chapters 1 through 6, the reconstructing of the walls. Chapters 7 through 13 are the reconstructing of the people. And just a little bit of background, chapters 1 through 5... Nehemiah heard the walls of Jerusalem were burned and torn down. And Nehemiah, you know the story, he got an army of soldiers and he went to Jerusalem. And the first order of business was to position men on the wall. And the Bible tells us that they had a trowel in one hand and what else, saints? A sword in the other. And they were busy building the walls of Jerusalem. The entire time of building Sambalot and Tobiah, The enemies of Israel were distracting and trying to hinder and cause doubt and unbelief. Remember in chapter 6, while building Nehemiah and Tobiah and Gershom, the Arab, the Bible calls him, sent a message to Nehemiah to come down to the plain of Ono. Were you here with me last week? Oh, yes. (laughs) You were here. But come down to the plain of Ono to have a meeting. Remember in chapter 6, verse 3, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work, so I cannot come down. And we pointed out last week that Nehemiah knew the work of God and the work of the kingdom. It's more than mundane, everyday brick laying and mortar. Nehemiah knew the building wasn't just one stone on top of another. Day after day, the people of God were building. Day after day, they were doing something that God wanted them to do. Day after day, they faced distraction from the enemy that came against the work. And we talked about last time, anything that you're doing for God, anything is a great work. Whatever it is, is a great work because you're doing it for God. Did you get that? So while doing this great work, Sambalot and Tobiah sent the message to Nehemiah to come down to the plain of Ono. And, and, and remember I told you, really, really, really important, really important, when, and you might want to write this down, when the enemy wants to meet with you and have lunch with you in a place called Ono, just say, oh no. 
Write that down. That's important. It's hugely important. So last time we talked about in verse 15, the walls are finished in 52 days. Wasn't that awesome? And the only thing left to do was to hang the gates. There were 12 gates. Think about it. 52 days of sweat, 52 days of work, 52 days of trial in one hand and sword in the other, 52 days of looking over their shoulder for the enemy. For Nehemiah, 52 days of dealing with problems within and problems without, 52 days of attacks and rumors and distractions, 52 days, and finally the work was complete. When the work was completed, the enemies of the Lord had to say, it was God. I'm reminded, talking about this great monumental work, I'm reminded of the words of a missionary, William Carey, and he said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. He said, do something so radical and so big that if God's not in it, it's doomed to fail. I love that. Nehemiah did just that, and God was definitely in it. Tonight we come to chapter 7. If you need a Bible, I want you to raise your hand nice and high, and we'll run one to you really quickly. We come to chapter 7. You got your pen, you got your pad. I want to tell you that if you are having problems sleeping, chapter 7 is a really good sleep aid. (laughs) If you can't sleep, listen, don't go to Rite Aid. Don't go to Walgreens, grab your Bible, open it to Nehemiah chapter 7. And I am confident, give yourself about nine verses, you'll be knocked out. (laughs) It's a very good sleep aid. Now chapter 6 wraps up the first half of the book. Chapter 7 begins, as I've already given you the outline, reconstructing the walls, reconstructing the people. Chapter 7 begins the second half of the book. The second half of the book begins by describing the precautions that Nehemiah took after the walls were finished. Nehemiah set up a guard that the new wall was to be guarded from further attack. And again, they weren't currently being attacked, but just in case, Nehemiah set up a guard. Now here's the application. Satan will attack you even after you've done a great work for God. And that's why you need to put some necessary precautions or guards in place. Nehemiah chapter 7, I've titled this sermon, People of the Book Part 1. When we come back, we'll be talking about People of the Book Part 2. You got it. Very smart. Now, here's what we'll do. We'll read, um, let's see. If you'll notice, go ahead and peruse chapter 7. There are 73 verses most of which are names of people. It's a census. And I thought, you know what? We want to do something some people have never done. Let's read every name. (laughs) They're like, no, please. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There's no point in that. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Uh, Maybe we'll pick up on some highlights, but no, we won't read every name. Chapter 7, saints, we'll read 1 through 3, come back and have some comments. If you're looking at verse 1, then say amen. Amen. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Then I gave charge of Jerusalem, note this, to my brother Hanani. 
and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was, underline this, faithful. He was a faithful man, and he feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut the bars of the doors and the bars of the doors. And let me read that again. Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Everything at this point, if you've been with us through Nehemiah, it's been a journey. It's been a wonderful journey of just watching the work of God go forward in the face of distraction, in the face of fear, in the face of problems within and problems without. It's been wonderful. Now we come to chapter 7 and everything is done. Everything is in order. Practically, the doors are hung and the gatekeepers are appointed. And not only is everything in order practically, but everything is in order spiritually. The priests are in place and ready for worship. The singers are in place and ready for worship. Can you imagine how Nehemiah must feel right now? God called him. He obeyed, walked by faith, trusted God. And now the work's done. I can't imagine how Nehemiah feels. Because it happened to me. Same thing. Back in 1995, God began to show me through visions and dreams that I was going to move to North Carolina. God showed me everything clear as day. The boxes that we were packed in, the amount of money we'd pay for rent, Um, God made everything undeniably clear. And now for me to stand here even tonight and to watch what God has done. um, I think I can imagine, I I can feel what Nehemiah must feel as he's standing there now watching the gates rebuilt, the gates are hung and the walls are standing and there's a sense of I think um, a feeling of um, not necessarily accomplishment but I would say more importantly a feeling of um, faithfulness and a finisher remember last week we talked about being a finisher one of my favorite verses in the Bible was I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. And therefore is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. God wants us to fight the good fight. And then God wants us to be a finisher. And I fear too often that we don't finish in our culture. We're not a culture of finishers. We're not a culture of finishers on many levels. Not from the church to the home. And it's unfortunate, and I think Nehemiah is probably standing there thinking, you know what, God, I've done what you've called me to do. I've finished. And that's the most important thing. Listen, when you lay vertical on your bed, at the end of the day, 
perhaps at the end of your life, the only thing that's going to be important is that you finish. And that you can lay there and say, I finished. Isn't that right? This is horizontal, right? This horizontal? So then I want to say, when you lay on your bed horizontally, amen, thank you, Jesus, for correcting me. Y'all know what I mean. I ain't thinking about (laughs) y'all. You know what I mean. When you lay on your bed, however it is you lay on it. (laughs) Some lay across it like this, some stand up on it. I don't know what you do. I want to be a good finisher. And I think that's the important thing. And I think that that's what Nehemiah feels at this point. I I just love that thought. I love that idea. And maybe because that, that's me. You know, I, I want to tell you something. I've really struggled all day long as whether I should even say this or not. And I'm going to. I think that, um, you know, we, uh, with our building plans, and I'll share more about the building plans. Um, I'm talking so much about it because I know that God is telling me now. I know that. I know when God's talking to me. I don't know a lot of stuff, but that I do know. I know that God's telling me now. Now is the time to move forward. So at one point we were going to just knock out these walls and add like 200 more seats, like, you know, do that. And that was going to cost whatever. And then we thought um, that's a Band-Aid on the situation here at Calvary Chapel. And we need something much larger, much bigger. So we've decided that we're going to build another sanctuary uh, on the back of these two buildings so that the, the street right here, and Lord willing, all this comes to pass, but this is what we are drawing and what we have drawn, actually, and probably what I've shown you a long time ago, I think. Did I? Okay, good. So, all right. I ain't letting too much out the bag. And uh, this street right here is the lobby. The sanctuary is back here. And they're telling me that the sanctuary could possibly be as much as, and you know how building goes, things change, but they're telling me the sanctuary could be as much as 1,450 seats. Um, That's a big project, I know. Isn't that awesome? But, you know, I looked at that, and you know, the, the lobby will be 6,700 square feet. Uh, it's, it's quite a large project. Um, and I looked at it like this. I believe it'll be the last thing I build for God. I really do. Um... And I don't say that like, oh, you know, I'm going to build that and then I'm going to you know, drop dead. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, really? <laughs> and then you're out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what I mean is, I just think that that's the last thing that 
I feel like God wants me to do is to build the sanctuary and to continue to minister and then I'll go home with the Lord whenever. But I just know that um, that's it. And to tell you the truth, that's all I really want. I don't really have high aspirations for a worldwide radio ministry, a worldwide international ministry, you know, Calvary Chapel International Ministries. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. That's just not me. I don't have, you know, I don't feel like I want to be on television and, and all of these things. And, and I'm not saying I never will. I don't know what God will lead me and what God will and will not do. And I'm not the determiner in that. Neither are you. Uh, God is. Uh, say amen. amen. Some of y'all are like, dang. I thought I got some say. No, you don't. Only God. Only God. But that's all I really want to do. And when I'm done, when we're done with this project, I feel like I'll be done. And I will feel that I have done what God has called me to do. And I'm going to tell y'all something. That's all that matters to me. I do not, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm really not one to really care a whole lot about what, who's saying what and who thinks what and all that. I don't have time for that. I told y'all a couple weeks ago, I'm grown. I don't have time for all that. I got to be about the father's business. And that's really all I care about is what God wants. And all I care about is to be able to, at the end of my life, to say, God, I have done what you called me to do. God, you showed me in 1995 what it is that I was supposed to do. And then when I got here, I did that. And now you're requiring me to walk by faith. And now, God, you're speaking to me on another level to to go to another level. And God, I just want to be where you are. And I want to do what you want me to do. And that's it. And that's it. And I think that will be it. I, I do. I just feel like that's it. To have done what God has called me to do. And, and I think Nehemiah has got to be standing there thinking, God, that's it. That's all God called him to do, and he did it. And the work was completed. In the face of distractions and situations, and yes, we laugh about the plane of Ono, oh but I don't think Nehemiah was laughing about the plane of Ono. Oh and the backbiting and the gossip and the deceit and the usury and the taking advantage of one another and the problems within and the problems without, those 52 days were brutal. But he did it. Because you can do all things through Christ because he strengthens us. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So he did it. So Nehemiah is standing there and probably praising God and thinking back when he first received the news that the city was in ruins. Verse 2 tells us he gave charge of Jerusalem to his brother Hanani and Hananiah. These guys were buddies. Both their names mean the grace of God. Isn't that interesting? What we have here is grace upon grace. 
<laughs> grace upon grace. Nehemiah wasn't in, in this for his own glory. Keep in mind, he didn't call himself to Jerusalem. God called him. Nehemiah wanted to see the work done. And now that the work is done, Nehemiah knows it's time to move on and set things in place. And he let go of the ministry. You can't hold tight to the ministry. Otherwise, it won't grow. Nehemiah knew that. And God was going to use him. But he wasn't to stay in the authority in Jerusalem. You see, that's the sign of a great leader. A great leader can see where God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. And then once that is done, they're able to release the ministry and give it away. A mature Christian can give away ministry. An immature Christian wants to hold on. It's mine. In my ministry, it's mine. Anybody else come along? Wait, 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 wait. Don't, 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 I'm the leader in this ministry. It's mine. The ministry is not yours. Ministry is not mine. This church is not mine. Jesus said, upon this rock, I shall build my church. The church belongs to him. And we should be willing and able and ready and looking for opportunities to hand the ministry off. And if you're not doing that, you're really not walking in maturity. And you're not walking in that place that God would have you if you're not willing to just say, God, you know, I'm giving the ministry away. or I'm looking for faithful men who shall also be able to teach. Men and women who shall also be able to teach and give away the ministry. Nehemiah gave away the ministry and notice he gave away the ministry to his brother. He's done the work. He's led the march. He's got the respect the leadership of the people, and yet he can hand the ministry off to others who love God. And he put his brother in authority. And that was his brother. If you look at chapter one, don't do it now, just write it down. Chapter one, verse two, it tells us that this was the, his brother was the first to tell him of the problem in Jerusalem. Verse two tells us his brother was faithful and he feared God more than many. You know, I'm sure that even in Nehemiah's day, I'm sure people had a problem with this. Nehemiah put his brother on staff at the church. Y'all know where I'm going. I'm sure people were saying, oh, yeah, Nehemiah, you put your brother in charge. Nepotism. For sure. They're probably saying, why didn't you put Tobiah on staff? Remember last week we talked about Tobiah? Uh, the people of Judah really liked Tobiah. Tobiah showed Judah one side of him and Nehemiah a whole different side of him. It's the same Tobiah and Sambalot, but he was a hypocrite. He had two faces. And Judah, he, he married into the family. We talked about it at the end of service last week. He married into the family. And so people are probably thinking, you know, what about Tobiah? Nehemiah puts his brother, puts brother Grace on staff because he's his brother. I'm sure Nehemiah is getting some grief for this one. And I don't know why people have a problem with relatives being on staff. Uh, I've not heard, honestly, a whole lot of talk about that of late. Uh, but I remember even years ago, um, people had a problem. My son has largely been on staff for a while now. And my wife is on staff. And, um, and my wife has always been on staff. Hello. And, um, you know, she always has been. And, and, and you know, I've told you before, uh, my wife is on staff, but she's an unpaid staff member. She works in. <laughs> Honey, you ain't got to amen that much now. She's like, yes. 
She back there catching the Holy Spirit. Y'all to see her up there. She said, I'm unpaid. And that's our choice. As a family, this is a choice that we've made. But she is on staff and she is an unpaid staff member. But yes, I do have a son on staff, and I can honestly tell you that most of my friends who are pastors of actually fairly large churches, I'm talking, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 18,000 people, they have family members on staff and family members who are not on staff. And, and, and I don't think that, you know, because you are family, that it should, you know, disqualify you from being on staff just because you're bloodline. You're disqualified. Notice the requirement here is that these men be fearful, that means reverence God, and faithful. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.